Welcome to Failing Forward. I'm here today with Lori Lee from Care UK, who's going to talk about the importance of putting survivors first and what we can learn from difficulties when we try to handle cases of sexual assault and exploitation in CARE's work. Hi, uh, my name's Laurie Lee. I'm the National Director and Chief Executive of CARE International UK, based in London. Thanks so much for joining us today. Why do you think it's important for us to be having these conversations? Failure is a fact of life. If we don't acknowledge it and we try and avoid the concept of it, then we're likely to repeat those failures again and again, and it's better to talk about them and learn from them and also share them so other people don't repeat the failures that you made. I used to work for the Gates Foundation and one of the great privileges you have when you work there is that Warren Buffett comes to the annual employee meeting every year and he always has some amusing words of wisdom to share. And he talks about how he much prefers to learn from other people's mistakes than his own. <laughs> and of course, that's much better if you can, but you can only do that if other people share their mistakes with you. I, I do recognise that it's not always easy to share failure. And if we don't open ourselves to failure, we're not going to be taking the kind of risks that we need to take to achieve what we need to do. So risks are definitely going to happen. If nothing ever goes wrong, we're definitely not taking enough risks. I recognise that it, it can be difficult to talk about it, so I'm happy to try and reassure people by demonstrating that it's okay to talk about it. Obviously, a lot of the ones you're going to talk about to people are going to be uh, things that we've tried to do in programs and they haven't worked out. And those are really interesting and I've seen some, but I felt like if I talked about that, it would be a little bit sort of vicarious. Because unfortunately, one of the downsides of being the chief exec is not being as involved in some of the details of the programs as you'd sometimes like to be. So I really wanted to try and think of something that I was much more directly involved with talk more personally about it, because I think that's what we're trying to encourage everybody to do. That's really important, I think, for us to be able to talk about failures that we personally had a part in and not sort of always externalized as failure happens to other people. Tell us a little bit, what is the failure you are talking about today? What was the context of what happened? I, I want to talk about my mistakes rather than other people's mistakes. Part of the context was about dealing with a mistake which had happened within care and it was about how I and my team dealt with it um, when it happened is what I want to talk about. I'd been in care just, just under a year, new chief executive, establishing myself, first time I worked in an NGO. We picked up in a, an external independent evaluation of one of our patient programs somewhere that there had been a rate of a student in an education program by a teacher involved in the program. That was the first we'd heard of it. Now this had happened some time ago by definition and we were, we were shocked that we had not heard, heard of it sooner and that what we understood, which is that a serious event like that would have been reported immediately, didn't seem to have been done. So obviously we had some rapid conversations, the program team, myself, with the office involved to find out what had happened. It became clear that the, the incident hadn't been reported to the country office headquarters in the capital either. So the information stayed at the, the local level of implementing the project. That was a concern. I and my auditor went out to visit country office to really understand fully what had happened and talk to the management there about what had happened. We also wanted to make sure that we spoke to the funders of the program to make sure that we were being properly transparent about things and, and open with it. And obviously to 
uh, find out a bit more about what uh, what had happened at the time, which was about approximately six months earlier. There's a lot of different pieces to that story. What would you say is the failure? Um, so as I said, I wanted to talk a bit more about my failures. I mean, obviously there was a failure in reporting from the, the team where this happened up to first the headquarters and then to us. So I want to spend a lot of time talking about that, but just to let people know that we certainly clarified um, with the country office, but we rechecked all of our um, agreements with country offices um, uh, at that time to you know, just remind everybody that an incident like that really needed to be reported immediately at the time um, up, up to the, uh, the member partner. The, the good thing that we discovered, how, you know, once we were able to talk to the staff and the partner staff, is that in fact the, lo- the local team and the local school and local authorities and everything at the time had actually handled the situation quite well. So that was good. There, were, there, there wasn't really a mistake there. It really was just the reporting line that had broken down. But that was serious enough. But more personally, what were the mistakes? Well, some, I got some feedback shortly afterwards at the time that suggested that I'd made a mistake in, in going to the country office um, to explore this. That maybe it was a bit heavy. I should have trusted them to sort everything out that this was a bit over the top, that maybe racial, intercultural um, problems with it, power imbalances, um, funding partner versus country office, all these kinds of things. And I understand why people say that, but both at the time when I got that feedback and even a few years later now, I don't honestly feel that that was a mistake fundamentally to go. I was concerned to make sure it was very clear to everybody. This was a very important issue that deserved the highest level attention. I, I was concerned to ensure that the country office took it as seriously as possible. There were some things I could have done slightly differently to ameliorate any negative impact from coming to the country office. You know, we spoke to the country office on the phone a few times first. And, you know, that left me concerned enough to want to make the, the trip maybe could have tried to underline that we were doing it in a kind of a supportive learning way. At the end of the day, frankly, there were higher priorities than the sensitivities of people in the office. Um, There was a potential survivor there and the system had clearly broken down and that's something that needed to be fixed and uh, was important. I think we've only seen in the last year how important those things are. Subsequently, there was a, a mistake which I made, which I except really was a mistake. So after I got back, so, you know, as I said, we clarified that actually the situation had been done really quite well on the ground. Um, We were able now that we were aware to inform and assure the other partners and funders in the program that everything had been done correctly. Local authorities that needed to have been told had been told. So we were kind of in the finalizing it process. I had shared with staff uh, in the UK a very basic level that there'd been an incident we were going to to check it out and that we wanted you know i wanted people to know that we took that seriously enough that we would do that but i hadn't really told people very much at that point when i came back i wanted to give people some information about what we had found and what we had done and also really reassure people which we discovered that in fact the survivor had really been looked after quite well and the situation had been handled and in doing so my 
natural storytelling instincts kicked in a bit, as well as my desire to really show that the, that the team on the ground had, had thought of a lot of different aspects of looking after the survivor. And so in trying to give that reassuring story, I probably, well, I did, I did. I mean, I'm embracing the mistake. I, I gave more information about exactly what had happened than was really necessary. I didn't give away any information that would actually have identified the survivor, but I, I did give away more um, personal information than was necessary to make the point either that this was a serious issue that we should care about or to make the point that the team on the ground had actually looked after that survivor. So that was my mistake and my lesson certainly is to not do that again. How did you move past those failures? I've described some of the things that you know we do about reporting these days, and uh, we've moved past it that way. I think in terms of would would I go out again? I would certainly hope now, with the level of understanding, that a situation like that probably wouldn't arise again in terms of uh, an incident not being reported. And if it was, I think I'd almost certainly deal with it the same way because that would be an even more serious failure now. What I think is more likely to happen these days is that we'd be told much more quickly. And then I definitely wouldn't be going out because at that stage, it would be absolutely important that the country office team, with whatever specialist help they needed, would be dealing with the situation. And, and they wouldn't be needing me and I wouldn't need to be going. But then I think the big personal lesson for me is the thing about revealing information. And I think that it touches on two of the important issues that we're, that we're all dealing with as, as a sector around safeguarding now. So one is, on the one hand, we want to assure our staff, our supporters and our beneficiaries that when an incident happens, we take it seriously, we look after the survivor, we do the right thing, we report it to the authorities. And we want to do that for several reasons. One is to discourage further incidents by perpetrators, that they're not going to get away with it and also to encourage people that, to feel safe that they could report an issue and that it would be dealt with properly if, that they, if they do. But in wanting to kind of demonstrate that we do it right, we can't make that mistake I made three years ago of going into any more detail, A, than is necessary, or B, that is given consent to by the survivor or perhaps others even who are sensitively involved in the situation. You know, it can feel like those two things are slightly in competition with each other and that it's a difficult balance. But then I think in the end, really, my lesson is that it's not such a difficult balance. The wishes of the survivor come first and actually it's not so difficult to then send the message that you need to send that we dealt with a situation well and you can rest assured that we deal with a situation well again in the future. What's one action that you'd recommend to other care people or other people who find themselves in a similar situation? What's something that we can be doing differently? Well, I think we all recognize that actually some of us will find ourselves in the situation of receiving a report like this and that we're very uh, skeptical of believing it if we don't. We know this is going on. So people will find themselves in this situation. Certainly what I will do and and others may take advice from this. I would, I would want to take it just as seriously. I would want to make it clear to others how seriously we were taking it. I would certainly be wanting the local team with whatever additional expertise they need to be dealing with it and protecting the survivor, including in culturally appropriate ways. 
But I do think it's uh, an important part of our commitments to report on what we've done to the survivor, first of all, and their community, remind people of what their rights are and what treatment they can expect if something, if someone um, offends those rights. But always to be doing this, putting the survivor first, including their confidentiality. This has been a really live conversation in the last year for all NGOs. What are some of the tools and resources that CARE has that people can tap into when situations like this arise? CARE has been building up its ability to deal with these things over the years. And obviously, um, with a particularly heavy focus in the last year, at the very least, there is a sexual exploitation focal point in every member now. So if you're not sure where else to go, you can go there. If you don't know who yours is in your member, it shouldn't be too difficult to find out. Ask your HR director is probably a good, uh, good starting point. Increasingly, I think there'll be such focal points in every country, office or region. And I think often already is, particularly in countries where they're running high-risk programs like education uh, or humanitarian programs, uh, where obviously people's vulnerabilities are particularly acute. I guess one of the other lessons, I'd acknowledge that I was learning this stuff as we were dealing with that situation, but increasingly now, people shouldn't be expected to be handling these situations on their own. We have both experts in-house, but also experts available to us beyond care, um, on cool-down contracts and that kind of thing, who are, you know, experienced and trained um, to support survivors, to run our investigations and all those kind of things. So you know, definitely don't try and do those things yourself. It should be clear to people what particular reporting mechanisms are for individual programs. But if anyone's ever unsure what to do, there is, of course, a care ethics line that anyone can use. And you can be sure that that will get to the right team too, if you're not sure how else to report it. I think people will be able to report most cases to, you know, managers or HR teams. You know, there's obvious reasons why that might not be appropriate in a particular situation, in which case some of these alternatives exist. Um, uh, so going to someone else you trust, a different manager you trust, um, or, or ethics line, if none of those things work for you. One question to try to bring all of this back to the work. How does all of this function around care's impact and what we're trying to do in the world? If we are not looking after the people that we're trying to help, as well as our own staff, what else matters? Everything else we're doing is supposed to be there to help help those people, and we need to make sure that we do it. So if you had to sum up sort of the main lesson or the main action point from this conversation in one or two sentences, what would those be? Well, it was okay doing this, so feel free to do it. You know, Share your failures too and help us all learn from you. If anyone's prompted to want to talk to me further about any of it, I'm very happy to get an email or a Yammer message or a Facebook workplace message, whatever you use. I hope you found it helpful and I hope it helps you see how we can take these things seriously, put survivors first, support our country offices and, and each other. If you try and do the right thing, you'll be forgiven even if you don't do it perfectly. Thanks for listening to our third episode of Failing Forward. Stay tuned as we get more people from around the care world talk about things that went wrong and what we can do about it, so that, in the words of Warren Buffett, you can learn from other people's failures, in addition to your own. Have a great day.